It was 1998 in Raleigh, North Carolina, that Ivan McGuire entered the small plane for the third time that day. Ivan was a videographer. He would film people's first jumps out of airplanes when they jumped out with their instructors. He was generally the first one out of the plane. At that point in time, he had made 800 jumps out of an airplane. He was well known for his work, known in his field, and this was the last jump of the day. Ivan had entered that plane with his video equipment and with the jumpers, intending to film a man's first jump that afternoon. As he dove out of the plane with his video camera equipment and filming, it was then that he quickly realized that he did not have his parachute. He had left the plane that he had jumped out of over 800 times before without that critical equipment that he needed. Perhaps fearful that in all those jumps that day alone that he wanted to make certain that he would get the video. And of course, there was no rescuing him from that sight. He plummeted thousands of feet to his demise. This man had not, uh, he had not taken the thing with him that was most essential for him. His mind was elsewhere, perhaps fears were elsewhere at that same time too, and as a result, focused on something else, he didn't have the thing that he needed most. I use that as a means of introduction to the passage today, this section in Genesis chapter 26. We'll be covering verses 1 through 17, titled, Misdirected Fear. This is a story about Isaac and Rebekah. I would have this passage, this section, divided into three parts, the first of which is fear of physical discomfort causes us to look to man's solutions. The second part would be fear of men causes us to seek to please men, and with the final section to be faith in the Lord and his promises drives out fear and allows us to focus on his blessings. bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Great and glorious and heavenly Father, please be with us as we hear your word today. Please be with the message as it goes out. Let it give, let it, let it open up your word. Let us hear it in our hearts. Let our hearts be humble to hear what your word has to say. Let us believe what your word has to say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Verses one through six. Now there was a famine in the land beside the previous, previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, and Yahweh appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you 
and bless you, for to you and to your seed I will give all these lands. I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham, and I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and I will give your seed all these lands, and by your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham listened to my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws, so Isaac lived in Gerar. Now, seemingly, this passage apparently seems a little bit out of order, but it is falls within Hebrew's story or narrative historical telling, because in the beginning, we says there's a famine in the land, and it says that uh, Isaac went to Gerar. And in the second verse, it says that Yahweh appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt, but go to the land I will tell you, and then we find that he goes to Gerar. Now, in the, in the, in the, in the manner of which some Hebrew historical narratives tell the story, they will tell you what happened first, and they will tell you then right afterwards how it happened. It is unusual for us because we typically do not tell stories in that fashion. However, it is typical for a Hebrew narrative. So we have this thing, this idea that this famine in the land, he says it is not, and it's important, not the same famine that his father went through, even though we have a similar name for a king or the same name, Abimelech, is there. We must grab hold of this and say to ourselves, this is not a retelling or a different telling of the same story to Abraham, but an entirely different Abimelech, an, entire, an, entire, an entirely different famine that has occurred. We know this for a couple reasons. Number one, this is over 90 years after. 90 years after Abraham uh, dealt with the famine that is found in Genesis chapter 20. If we just take just a moment and just, just lean back there for a second, you would find that that is where uh, Abraham then lies to Abimelech that is there, that Abimelech is the name of the king that is in that land. A little interesting aside for that is Abimelech in the Hebrew means my father is king. My father is king. And it could be the fact that this is just a title that is given. Not necessarily, and by the way, I just misspoke. The famine is in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Abimelech then is in Genesis chapter 20. But my father is king. So this Abimelech that we're talking about here in this passage, in the first verse that we find out about him, could be also not just the name, but could also be the title for a person. We see this title, if it is a title, used again in a couple different places in the scripture. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 10, we see the king is Achish. And then in Psalm 34, he's referenced as Abimelech, my father is king. So we don't, want to, we don't want to accidentally imply something upon this passage that is not there. We trust that it is God's infallible and errant word that this Abimelech is exactly who Isaac is teaching to, and he is in the land of Gerar. It says here this is the first time, or this is the time that Yahweh has appeared to Isaac, solely and he says do not go down to Egypt that means that when the famine came to the land that Isaac himself was looking to the lush and fertile grounds 
that were in Egypt. Of course, we know that the Nile Delta is there, well known for its crops and whatnot. We know that he is looking, because of the famine in the land, he's looking to go somewhere else to provide for his family. That he is looking for human solutions to the physical problem that he has. He's looking somewhere else to solve his own problem. We do recall, as I've said many times before up here, that he does not have the book. We have a book full of examples of people seeking out solutions to their problems and not seeking the Lord first. That tell us how that goes. But he is looking somewhere else. We could tell by the way it's written. He's looking to Egypt. I'm going to go to Egypt. I'm going to take everybody with me. And we're going to, we're going to wait out this famine. But, verse 2, but the Lord appeared to him. But the Lord God, Yahweh, came to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land which I tell you. These are your marching orders. These are your instructions. Trust in what I'm giving you, telling you to do. Go to this place. We already know it's in Gerar, so a few hundred miles away from where he's living right now, but certainly not the whole way to Egypt. Is where he's at. And it's still in the land of Canaan. He is not leaving that land that was part of the promise. Verse 3. Sojourn in this land. I'm going to stop right there. Sojourn. Dwell temporarily. Rely on the subsistence that is available to you there. But you are going to be here for a temporary period of time. You are not going to be here forever. You are, you are not going to take up residence here. You are not going to live here permanently. This is not going to be where I'm going to set you up at. But you are going to sojourn until the time period that I tell you to leave. And not only sojourn in this land, but he says, and I will be with you and I will bless you. For to you and to your seed I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. The oath which I swore to your father Abraham. Now as we've spoken about before, remember Abraham got that promise way before. Way back in Genesis. He was reminded of it frequently. But Abraham died without any grandchildren. Abraham went to his grave without seeing Isaac with any children. But the promise did not fail. The promise didn't cease to be. The promise was still there as established by the Lord. It was not as if God's promises failed, but human life is short. And God's commands and his laws and his statutes are forever. So when we come here to this, I'm going to establish this with you. By the way, that, that promise still goes to you. This is the oath I make to you, the one that was given to your father. You are the fruit of his loins. You are the seed. I'm going to give that same promise to you. That same thing that I told you, your father, I'm giving to you. 
go live in this land for a short period of time, or for, excuse me, a period of time that I tell you to be there, just sojourn there, don't buy land, don't set up anything permanent, just go there for a period of time, I will bless you when you go there, your seed is going to, to be the one, the same as the oath that I give to, gave to your father Abraham, Verse 4, and it says, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and I will give your seed all these lands, and by your seed all the nations of earth shall be blessed. Now, we shouldn't go much further as we, it's always good to remind, we always have to remind ourselves of where we came from, and where, uh, where we came from to establish where we're at. And we recall from Genesis 12, Verse 1 and 2, it says, And Yahweh said to Abram, Go forth from your land and from your kin and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Notice that that is very similar to what he said to Isaac. Go to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. So very similar is what is given to Isaac. Very similar uh, just a retelling of that same promise. The promise has not failed. The promise continues. This is a reminder, Isaac, that promise is still there. The promise is still in place. The promise will not end. It was interesting yesterday, I had a discussion, or uh, a text discussion with one of the members of the congregation about similarly when we find in Exodus chapter 32, we find some words of the Lord saying that he wishes to, he's speaking, rhetorically speaking, do you wish to Moses because they worship the golden, golden calf? Do you wish that I would destroy all these and make your seed that of the promise? It's, a, uh, it's rhetoric that's given that is in there. That is not what God's going to do, but he's calling Moses saying, this promise stands. You need to stand up as a leader and deal with the problem. Those people. But that promise that he has given to the seed that, that, that extends, will extend past the deaths of the people that are there. Past the deaths of Abraham and Sarah. In Genesis 15.1, we find the words of the Lord to Abraham. Just a short word. It says, after these things, the word of Yahweh came to Abraham in a vision saying, do not fear. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Do not fear. Now, if we think to our, the unfortunate man who jumped out of the plane, he wasn't relying on the thing that he needed most. His mind was elsewhere, thinking about other things. Here we, I think, we see a little bit here with Isaac, right? You know, he's looking to Egypt to solve the problem, and he is in danger of forgetting the promise and the Lord in all of this thing. The Lord comes to him and reminds him, listen, this promise stands, and not only does it stand to your father, but it stands to you, because you are his seed. You need to remember these things. You need to remember the things that are most important. Is the Lord that's most important. Just as I told your father not to fear, that I will always be with you, you should not fear because I will always be with you. Just as I swore to your father, 
I swear to you too. The seed, your seed as the stars of heaven, and I will give your seed all these lands, and by your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham listened to my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my law. This one, your father, listened to me. Did he listen perfectly? Of course not. We can see where he did not. But he trusted, had faith in the Lord and what the Lord was going to do. Even when he was weak, he was certainly relying on the Lord. And he ends up in that hallmark of faith that we find in Hebrews. Notice how in verses 5 and 6, it contains the categories of faithfulness. You listen to the Lord's voice, you listen to the Lord's charges, you listen to the Lord's commandments, you listen to the Lord's statutes, and you listen to the Lord's law. Is that idea of complete faith. Turn with me, if you would, as we go forward to remember, it's the Israelites who are receiving this word, written by Moses. They would know these things too, Deuteronomy chapter 11 Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1. You shall therefore, this is the words of the Lord, you shall therefore love Yahweh your God, the Lord your God, and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and commandments all of your days. So as those Israelites receive this word of origin, Genesis, this word of origin, where, how they came to be, how this came about to where they're at after the Exodus, after they've been led into the wilderness, as they see this, ah, I look back and I say, listen, these things are the same as it was for them. As we are called to obey God's laws, so was Abraham, so was Isaac. So, of course, this too demonstrates as we bring forward. So, what does it mean? How do we how do we read this? How do we how do we take this? You know, because we're not living in this period of time. Uh, this was uh, given. Uh, These words were given to Isaac, yet we are part of that blessing of all nations. We are part even more focused of this becomes our family tree, right? So what does it mean for us? It means that law and faith can live side by side. Law and faith, and they do live side by side. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, verse 21. Galatians 3, 21. quite fitting, as it says, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? And there's that, I can't help but say it, meganoito from the Greek, may it never be. It's emphatic that this thing can never possibly be. Just remove it from even any of your thought processes. 
Uh, for if the law had been given which was able to impart life, then the righteousness would indeed be by the law. So the law, the law in the following the statutes is not contrary to the faith, but actually points to our need for faith, but points to our need for the Lord, points for our need for his work. And then if you go to James chapter 2, verse 22, which I know a number of you in this room are studying, James chapter 2, verse 22, you see that faith was working with his works, right? This is talking about Abraham just previously. Abraham working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. We could say that ourselves, that as those as we follow the law, we just see more and more of the necessity for our faith and more and more how the knowing the law and knowing how good God is and knowing those guardrails of the law is that we find ourselves between those that we are built up and assured in our faith. That we are built up and assured in our faith. And if we think about this with regard to Isaac and his situation, looking to the fertile grounds of Egypt, but saying, no, don't go there. The oath that I made your father has not stopped. That promise has not gone anywhere. That promise still stands for you because you're of his seed. Trust in me and the promises. Follow my statutes, my laws, and my guidance, and, I, and you will be blessed. We would think to... Similarly, we would think to Psalm chapter 3, which says there, what is that about verse 4 in Psalm chapter 3? That the Lord is my shield round about me. The Lord is my shield round about me. There's no place that you can be assaulted from when you're found in faith in the Lord because he surrounds you. It says further in that Psalm chapter 3 that he will break the teeth of the enemy. That means that they will not be able to assail you. You will be, un, uh, you will be unbothered by their words. And he says that the Lord is so protective of his people, so protective of his people that they know how they're blessed because it says, I know that the Lord is with me because when I, I go to sleep, and I wake up. The Lord does this for me. Everything that I have is from the Lord. We can think to, as we look at this, this, this particular section, we can think to Luke chapter 12, verse 4. Luke chapter 12, verse 4. I think we've mentioned it a few times, but it's worth mentioning again. Luke chapter 12, verse 4. But I say to you, Jesus speaking, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they have no more that they can do, but I will show you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for an, to Assyria? Yet not one of them as is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Isaac can affirm that himself, encountering the Lord as he did. Persecution may come, but do not fear, because the Lord is a shield around about you. The Lord knows everything that is happening to you. 
the Lord will bear you in to the new heaven and the new earth. You can trust in the Lord and what he has ordained. Do not, for Isaac, do not look to Egypt to solve your problems. Do not look to Egypt because of the famine, because I am that shield with you like I was with your father. Go and dwell in the land of which I tell you to go, and I will be with you. Now we move into the second section. This is going to be verse 7 through 11. Verses 7 through 11, and this is the word of the Lord. Then the men of the place asked about his wife, Rebekah. He said, she is my sister. And I know many of you who have been here remember, this sounds so similar to what his father did. She is my sister, for he was afraid, he had fear, he, had, he was forgetting what the Lord had told him. He was forgetting those things that were most important for him. He was afraid to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of the place kill me on account of Rebekah, for she is beautiful in appearance. Now it happened when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, surely she is your wife. How then did you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said, Lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of, these, of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech commanded all the people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. We put the subsection on this as fear of men causes us to seek to please men to work in the ways of men. He feared instead of re realizing that the Lord had sent him to this place, the Lord had told him to sojourn here for a period of time, that he need not fear because the Lord is with him, yet this most important thing is forgotten and he works with deception. And in turn, there's a couple little things here. Uh, he is literally mocking marriage when he does this. There is a word play that, that, that happens here uh, that goes on uh, with his name in the deception that happens here, but he is mocking what the marriage is. He is not trusting in the Lord, and he's mocking how important this marriage and that they know that he's married is. In other words, we could say... Well, let me go on one more, one more section before I get to that. We remember, and certainly Abimelech remembers when he discovers what is going on. Genesis chapter 20, verse 7, this was apparently passed down through the ages, if the previous Abimelech was his father, where he says, turn to 20, Genesis 20, verse 7, 20, verse 7, And I'm going to go a little bit before that. 
Then God said to him in a dream, Abimelech, indeed, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this. I also held you back from sinning against me, therefore I did not let you touch her. So now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. And when this Abimelech recalls this, he has a greater understanding of the marriage than Isaac is showing at this moment. We could even say, if we push it out further, we can say that as marriage goes in a society, so goes the society. As marriage is mocked, the society fails. The entirety of society is built upon marriage. And a marriage is so important that the example of marriage is used between Christ and the church. Between Christ and the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Christ so loved the church that he died for you. That's the way a man is supposed to treat his wife. This mystery is great, that Paul would say. But this is what it looks like. That's how important that marriage is. And Isaac's reactions here that even when we have a pagan king that realizes how important this is, and he says, why are you doing this? You, somebody could have lain with her and that would have brought death upon us. Isn't it amazing that it is the pagan king that recognizes the problem prior to Isaac? And you might have Miss this in the text in verse 8 because it's easy to skip over it because we want to get to the meaty parts of the story. We want to skip over the, the, the little prepositions and the articles and stuff that tell us something important about this. This didn't happen the first three weeks that Isaac lived in Gerar. It says in verse 8 that this happened when he had been there a long time that he had been playing with this deception for a long period of time. That he had not been admitting to others that she was his wife for a long period of time. How quickly he had forgotten that the Lord would be with him, that the Lord would bless him. that I do not want to belabor the point, but that he, le he is leaping without a parachute when he decides to do these things. He is leaping without a parachute. He is fearing the wrong things. Instead of fearing the Lord, he is fearing the people. He is not trusting in what God's promises are. Matthew 10, if you would turn there for a moment. Matthew 10, verse 26. Right after Jesus has told them uh, about persecution, it is right after he is sending the, the apostles out. And he says, therefore, do not fear them. 
do not fear them as you go out and on your way. Do not fear these ones that can persecute you. Isaac, as you go into the land of Gerar, do not fear them, for I am with you always. But he has forgotten that. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. What you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We would stop there for a second. We would say that when we place, when we have our fear of men that can kill the body, we are forgetting and we are placing them above God. We are saying that this thing is more important than who God is. We are setting God behind us and saying, oh, that, that doesn't matter now. God doesn't matter now. I've got this thing immediately in front of me. I'm fearful of these people. I'm fearful of what these people can do and say to me. And God would never do something to me like that. It's wrongly placed, misplaced fear. We want to also remember that perhaps in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, so turn forward a little bit. 1 Peter, a great book of sojourning, which we'll come back to a little bit later on. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, what does it say? You are blessed. And do not fear their fear, and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. We could stop right there, and I could just pull from that. I say, when we sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, it's meaning uh, I can't sanctify Christ as Lord in my heart if I am forgetting Jesus. If I am not thinking about Jesus the vast majority of my time, I am going to not sanctify my heart. He becomes like that parachute that's left back in the plane. There's something right here in front of me that's more important than Jesus being in my heart. Jesus needs to be first and foremost. Jesus needs to be the one that I turn to when I say, I believe, help me with my unbelief. I need to have my thoughts need to be dwelling upon Jesus at all times. Yes, I do my job. Yes, I talk with friends, but Jesus needs to be first and foremost in my heart. That's how he becomes sanctified with me. If I only pick up Jesus on Sunday mornings for 45 minutes that I'm preaching, good luck with that during the week. It isn't enough. You need to know your Lord and Savior. You need to know who he is. You need to see what he has done, that the fact that he is interceding for us right now in the heavenly places, you need to not forget him in the plane. Right? He needs to be sanctified in your heart. You need to dwell upon him and consider him and see his beauty and see his work. Because one day or another, you will meet him, whether you believe in him or not. I certainly hope when you meet him that you believe in him with all your heart. Do not fear those 
Do not fear this man like Abimelech and the people who live in this pagan land. Isaac, I told you I would be with you. I told you that the promise stands with you. Why would you be deceptive about this most holy marriage that you have? Holy enough that even a pagan king recognizes it. He recognizes it to the point there in verse 11 that anybody who touches this man or his wife will be put to death. He is treating marriage more importantly than Isaac has been up until this point in time. Which brings us to our third section, verses 12 through 17, a little longer on the title, Faith in the Lord and His Promises drives out fear, and allows us to focus on his blessings. So notice what happens. And Isaac, so, now he's been there for a long time already. But remember, he's just a sojourner. He doesn't own land. He doesn't own houses. And Isaac sowed in that land, and he reaped in the same year 100-fold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became very great and continued to grow greater until he became very great. And he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and many servants so that the Philistines were jealous of him. Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines, Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too mighty for us. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. So we see this thing that, the, that it comes clean on the marriage. It, it, uh, he, is, uh, he is living, we can see, rightly before the Lord because I know this because he was blessed a hundredfold. If we go back to the promises, it says, I would multiply these things for you. If we just say we're briefly back there in four and five, right? Because now you have listened. Now you're in right relationship. Now you've picked up that thing, that faith in the Lord of what he will do, and you are taking it with you. We would say for us that would be the Lord himself abiding in our hearts, sanctifying Jesus in our hearts. So much so that he has become, in this pagan land, he is just seeing parts of the blessing of the promises. He is growing in stature. Possessions. Of course, it's creating problems because of those around him. Jealous of what is happening with this sojourner, this temporary resident that is here, this one who is not one of us, this one who worships a God we don't know. Now, this is not a prosperity gospel message, all right? It's not a prosperity gospel message. What it is telling is about God in his promises to Isaac. It's telling about God and his promises to Isaac. It's saying, don't fear these people. Your right fear is in me, in the Lord. 
Look to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. This temporary resident, Isaac. Now this is for us sitting here today as Christ's followers. This is for us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. And if you address the Father as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your sojourn. Have you ever considered the fact that we as Christ's followers are temporary residents here? We are temporary residents where perhaps we've always lived that our citizenship is no longer one of a pagan culture, but of a holy nation. If you drop further into 1 Peter, go to chapter 2, and verse 9. So as your sojourn, as you are temporarily here, as Isaac was a sojourner in this pagan land, we are sojourners in a pagan land ourselves. But you are, verse 9 of chapter 2 of 1 Peter, but you are a chosen family, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Don't forget it. Don't leave it in the plain. Hold on to that right here, even when you don't feel it, Hold on to his word and his promises so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And for you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we conclude with the story of Isaac sojourning in this land. Uh, we see how he was looking somewhere else to take care of physical needs. And the Lord corrected him and reminded him of the promise. We see that he feared men. And the Lord stepped in through a pagan king and reminded him who is truly in charge. And that is the Lord. And now we see those blessings as he's sojourning in that land. Those blessings that come to us, you might have crops and possessions, but that pales in comparison to any salvation that you have that has been given to you through the Lord. Those are merely temporary, whereas salvation is eternal. So we would come now to some closing words that we must fear correctly then, not fear of man, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Work out your faith with fear and trembling. Work out your faith knowing that there is a Lord you must answer to at some point in time. Work out that salvation and make sure that you have the Lord Jesus is being sanctified in your heart day after day. Because we know certain things that fear mocks faith. 
Fear of man mocks faith. Fear of what will happen tomorrow mocks faith. However, faith in the Lord that is abiding in your hearts is that thing that you say boldly, laugh in the face of fear. That says, I know my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. I know the one that can both kill the body and the soul, and I know that he has me, that his righteousness, has, I've been clothed in his righteousness as he has taken my sin and cast it as in the sea to never be seen again. That's where I put my trust in. Turn to Psalm chapter 55, verse 22. Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast your burdens upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. First John 4, 18, and I know there's a few people in this room that are studying that right now. First, first John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and Christ Jesus, I'm going to stop here, has taken that punishment for you. The one who fears is not perfected in love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Therefore, last verse. 1 Peter 5, 7. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Don't leave that most important thing behind, which is faith in Christ Jesus. Don't proceed forward without taking it with you. Abide in Christ. Learn more about him. Trust in those promises of the Lord. Trust in what he has done. Remind yourself in the scriptures, don't trust in your own understanding. Psalm chapter, or excuse me, Proverbs chapter three. But trust in the Lord. Cling to the Lord. Cast your anxieties upon Christ Jesus. Know that he will see you into a new heaven and a new earth. Know that he, that, that the Lord himself, when you arrive in the new or in the heavenly kingdom, is not shaking his head saying, he or she just made it in. You are being welcomed as a true son or a true daughter of the God Most High because of the work of Christ Jesus. Do not fear because he is always with you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time in your word. Let us dwell upon these verses and these scriptures. Let us consider how we are living our lives. Are we trusting in you, God? And if we are not, let us cast our anxieties and our burdens and our fear upon you, trusting in the work of the cross, that he bore those things all away for us, knowing that he lifts us up, does not keep us downtrodden, that we know that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. 
We love you, Lord Jesus, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.